Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, here with a little bit different of an episode for you today. Uh, it is late night while I'm recording, and I thought it would be interesting to do an album review of Sowen's November Coming Fire, or I should say Sowen 3, as they are titled on the jacket. And this is their third release, but it's really only their second full album. Initium was their first album, and then they had an EP that came out after that, which I believe was the um, Unholy Passions EP, and then November Coming Fire was third, and then they came out with Final Descent. Uh, I've not seen the original version of Final Descent, but I understand that there were some songs added to it for the boxed set version that eventually came out. And then the only other thing that they released was Samhain Live 8586, which uh, was also included in the box set. So uh, not a lot of releases before they changed their name to Danzig and changed the sound a little bit. Um, This is uh, some pretty raw sounding stuff, which I really like. I love the uh, atmosphere of this album and Initium as well. Um, I thought Final Descent sounded um, a little more studio polished than these songs did. Kind of what I loved about punk and and the Misfits, especially. Uh, And I wasn't a huge punk guy, but the Misfits um, for sure is that it really sounded like it was just recorded on a four track, like it was mixed in, in you know, a basement with some uh, real tech speakers. And, and you know, it, it sounded good, but it sounded raw and not studio polished, which I think for, uh, you know, late 70s, early 80s punk, I think that sounds really good. And maybe it's just because that's what I've heard and that's what I'm used to, but I really do like that sound. So uh, Final Descent got a little bit too polished for me. So I like the songs on it, but the production is, uh, is a little enhanced for what I've come to expect from these projects. Now, once they got to Danzig, of course, everything was more, uh, you know, nice recording studio and, and that sort of thing, at least as far as the sound. I don't know about the actual recordings, but sound wise, it certainly sounded like it was, uh, you know, done with a higher production value. Um, but that's kind of what made punk so charming is that they, you know, they just did what they did. They recorded it the way they recorded it. And if you've got the Misfits box set, you could certainly hear different versions of songs where you could tell like She, for example, where uh, there's a version that's played with a keyboard. And, um, you know, you really feel like it's a low production value, but that's kind of what made it cool was, you know, just a bunch of guys doing recording in somebody's basement and um, having fun with it. So, um, so this album, though, it has a great sound to it. Um, I, I, I love that from the beginning. I also really love Initium. There are just some great songs on there, and um, the, the performances are fantastic. Really uh, kind of what you would expect Glenn Danzig to be delivering at that time, and he chose some people that obviously uh, could help him pull that off. But um, yeah, really, really good music, really different. But being that it's November... Uh, it was 81 here in Las Vegas today. We're actually supposed to drop 20 degrees uh, over the night. The high tomorrow is only going to be 61. So it looks like uh, winter is upon us and uh, none too soon because honestly, I'm tired of it being so warm in this room. I know my my friends in Canada and uh, probably places in the States and, and across some parts of the world are probably not happy with that statement. But you know, it was 118 through most of the summer. So I'm going to take a little bit of the cold and the wind and just enjoy it. Um, for those of you that are following um, the Uriah Heap saga, the podcast, uh, well, this episode will come out on Wednesday. The podcast will have launched yesterday. So uh, the first four episodes should be up and uh, ready on the Uriah Heap, the Magicians podcast. And uh, really excited, had uh, had a great time putting those together. 
a little emotional right now um, as Ken Hensley, who I interviewed in my time a week ago, um, passed away just a couple of days ago. I had an absolutely wonderful conversation with him, and that is up on the Haskin Cast podcast. You can check that out. Um, very, very great to, to reconnect with him. He and I had had a dialogue um, some 25 years ago, back when the internet was first starting, and it was great to reconnect with him. He, he, uh, he actually remembered my name, which I was kind of surprised. I mean, how many people has he met in the last 25 years? And uh, his, his, uh, his memory is that good that my name rang a bell. And um, great times, great conversation. I'm so glad that I got to speak to him. He was so passionate and so excited about the projects that he had in the works. And I really hope that those projects will uh, continue to come to fruition as his estate uh, looks at taking care of those. Um, certainly somebody who is in my, um, my top list of people who I've learned from. Um, who uh, whose music I've enjoyed, both uh, with Uriah Heep and his solo stuff and, and um, other projects that he had done. You know, it's it's so hard to talk about, but um, certainly wishing, um, you know, that uh, that everyone just appreciates the music and doesn't focus so much on, on the loss because he left us so much to enjoy. And that's what his life was really about, you know, was was putting out amazing music. And we had talked about that, that you know, he was all about quality and that he didn't ever want to do anything that he felt was below that par. And uh, I totally respect that. So um, I will continue to uh, to listen and enjoy. Um, I actually did a cover version of his song, Cold Autumn Sunday, from Proud Words on a Dusty Shelf, and um, haven't been able to listen to it yet, but uh, I may be able to do that at some point. We did talk about that song on the podcast. It's one of my favorites of his solo career. But uh, yeah, but it goes on. So um, we'll be reviewing uh, all of the music that he did with Uriah Heep throughout the course of that time. And, you know, maybe at some point when um, when I'm a little distant from the recent news, I'll uh, I'll review one of his albums uh, either here or as a bonus episode on the Uriah Heep podcast. See, as uh, time goes on, what I choose to do with that right now, it's all just still um, a little bit difficult. So uh, but what we're here to talk about today is we're here to talk about Samhain's album or Samhain 3's album, November Coming Fire which, uh, you know, I don't normally do a huge amount of digging because I'm pretty much doing albums I'm familiar with. But for this one, I thought it'd be interesting to find out what's out there. And surprisingly, it's really weird. I guess that shouldn't be surprising because of the the type of band that they were. They were considered horror punk, which uh, I suppose is probably the same moniker that the Misfits had because they sang, uh, you know, horror-themed thing a lot about uh, B-movies and stuff like that from the horror genre. Um. This album came out in February of 1986, which at first I thought wasn't that long ago. And I realized, yeah, that's actually a very long time ago now in the history of things. Um, Mother of Mercy, the song Mother of Mercy, was featured in the 2009 Guitar Hero Metallica, which is weird because as far as as I know, Metallica didn't cover that song. Um, But interestingly, uh, I saw that at least on Wikipedia, whether this is true or not. I'm, I'm not going to say this is concrete fact because I don't know. I didn't hear the direct quote myself. But it was noted that James Hetfield was quoted as saying that November Coming Fire was one of his top 10 all-time albums. Now, I do know that Metallica were, were big fans of The Misfits. They did a cover of Die, Die, My Darling, and they also did, um, uh, I was going to say, Mommy, Can I Go Out and Kill Tonight? But that wasn't that. They did great version of Last Caress and uh, merged that into Green Hell, two great Misfit songs, 
and that was on their Garage Days re-revisited album. I really love James's voice on those songs too. Um, very, very powerful. Uh, a little uh, grungier than he was singing uh, at the time. So it's uh, you know really, really neat to see them do those songs. But as far as I know, um, at least I haven't heard of them doing uh, Mother of Mercy. Um, I'd like to hear that actually. That could be interesting. But uh, anyway, that was chosen for the Guitar Hero Metallica game in 2009. And um, I was going to put links in the show notes to where you could purchase this album. And here's where it kind of really just got weird for me. Um, I went to the two usual places I go to to post links. I went to iTunes and Amazon. I could not find this album on iTunes. Actually, I couldn't find any of their albums on iTunes. And um, I thought that was a little strange. So I went to Amazon and I did find the album on Amazon. And the, the, uh, at the moment, the smallest amount of money that I found a copy of November Coming Fire for was $199. Wow. So that was a little bit of a shock. So then I thought, okay, that's just weird. Uh, I wonder if they have the box set. And so I went looking for the box set, and they do. Amazon does uh, have a link to where you can purchase the box set available for $389. Again, I think I paid, I want to say $49 maybe, or $50 for it. Um, But of course, this would have been back quite some time ago. And... um, it's got some great stuff on there. In fact, um, the uh, there's a videotape of them playing live, like an actual VHS tape. So that gives you an idea of when it came out. Um, but yeah, like uh, crazy killer prices. So obviously Amazon might not be a route for you. So I thought, okay, I'll check eBay. Wow. Uh, so eBay had vinyl versions that came out from uh, Plan 9. And those were upwards of $500. Um, there were CDs that were going for a couple hundred dollars. And then I'm like, I'm just, I'm flabbergasted. Like, how are you guys going to check this out? So, uh, they did have some people that were selling the individual, uh, just CDs in the jackets for uh, a set of all three for $20. So eBay might be the place to go, uh, and snap up those deals before they're gone. Um, I just get blown away by how people price things. I should have looked at how many of them have actually sold for those prices. But considering um, it doesn't look like there's a lot of places to get it, your best bets are probably going to be eBay, used record stores, that sort of thing. And if you see it, uh, grab it. In fact, probably just grab all the albums that you can find for them because um, uh, it's, it's going to be hard to find them. So, um, you know, get the deals that you can. Um, check out the box set. See if that's a better deal for you. Uh, but really cool stuff. Um, great music. I don't know if I would have paid $400 or $200 for a copy of the album, but um, I don't know. Maybe you'll be inspired to, or maybe, you know, when I say that, I didn't have to because it was still available in record stores. But uh, obviously now that is not the case. So there is that. Uh, very interesting. Actually, it's it's kind of encouraging that people uh, might be paying those kind of prices for that album because I think it's a great album, but Wow, it's it's just hard to, to fathom laying down that kind of money and only getting one album. And there's 11 songs on it, but that's a lot of money to pay for uh, for 11 songs. So speaking of songs, let's check out the album itself. The, uh, the Initium album had this really uh, sort of dark uh, intro. You kind of felt like uh, it was, a, you know, Glenn was a demon talking to you. 
from the the uh, netherworld and um it was really a weird uh intro with some some very interesting sound effects and um they must have liked the idea of doing some kind of intro like that because this has uh basically uh, Diablo 88 is the song that opens the album and it's basically an instrumental there's some kind of grunts and things and uh, some tubular bells which sound really good but um it's a, it's just a pretty simple song that sets the pace for the album so let's listen to a little clip That's basically the song. Um, it just repeats a couple times. It has a, a neat little ending, but um, it really sets the pace for the album. And I don't know about you guys, but I just love the uh, the production, the tonality of the album. It definitely has a personality of its own. I actually purchased the album uh, at the end of October uh, as, as a just a single album, well before the box set was available. And um, I remember I grabbed it on my way to work, and I'm listening to it on the way to work uh, on a cassette. Uh, it was the the first version I had of it. And um, I'm just like, wow, this this just feels like a really cool album. It has a, a definite personality. And the same way with Initium, I thought Initium had a great personality to it as well. So uh, that was Diablos 88, definitely a cool track. The next song on the album is In My Grip, and this is the first one that, um, you know, has a vocal to it. Glenn sounds great on this album, you know, exactly as you would expect him to. Very powerful, very commanding in, in his vocal. And every single song reflects that. I don't think there's a single song that he sounded um, at all weak on or could have given a better performance. I think he's in full force on this one. So let's check out a little bit of In My Grip. I really like the effects that they put on the drums. Um, I think they, they give them a real personality and really make this album stand out from other albums. If you were to have heard uh, a bonus track, if there was one, you would certainly know what album it came from if it was mixed at the same time. Um, love the guitar sounds too. You've just got that little bit of squealing um, a- along with, uh, you know, with the heavy distortion in the bottom end, and it just sounds a, a re- really good balance. And um, kudos on the production and, and the sound quality, because I think, um, I think they really nailed something special on this one. And again, it, I have to, to come in with the perspective of I've known this album for a long time, and it, it could very well be yeah, just a, a nostalgia thing for me, but uh, maybe you guys will agree. I don't know. Let me know. Send me an email. Put some, I would say put something in the comments, but depending on where you're listening, I may or may not see the comments. So uh, shoot me an email, scott at scotthaskin.com, and let me know what you guys think. 
I would love to hear your opinions. I know that this is a very popular album um, from the uh, ratings. It was given 98% across a couple different internet sites. So that was pretty good. But then, you know, what's behind those statistics? If it's only Misfits or, or Samhain fans that are listening, then, uh, you know, of course they're going to give it a high rating. Um, that only stands to reason. So uh, next up is the track Mother of Mercy. And this is a one, again, that was featured on um, the, the video game. And it's interesting, too, because this is not a particularly fast song. I've never played Guitar Hero, so I don't know, um, don't really know how it works. Maybe a, a song that is a little bit slower might be uh, a, obviously easier to play in the game. So maybe it's more of a, you know, a, a warm up song or what. I'm not sure. Uh, I know I can't play it on guitar, but there's not much I can play on guitar anyway. And um, let's hear a little bit of Mother of Mercy. It's got a really interesting uh, drum pattern in the beginning that repeats a couple times through the song. And uh, again, you know, just another uh, great vocal delivery from Danzig. In fact, this is one of my favorite songs on the album. So it's a little bluesy, um, but, uh, you know, that's uh, not uncommon for the kind of music that Glenn writes and um, definitely a, a great one. I think the vocals just really powerful. You can really feel that, that um, you know, he's passionate when he's singing this and the performance from the, the drummer and the guitar players are just really solid on, on this one. The nice thing about punk is that you don't really have to be as precise as what's expected in other types of music. You could certainly never get away with this kind of playing in, in you know, in an orchestra. But punk is kind of, you know, it's a little bit rebellious. It's a little bit, we don't have to be exact. We're just going to play. If we make a mistake, fine. We're just going to keep going. And I kind of like that. It's, it adds a little bit of charm for me. I don't imagine that punk bands that are recording today, uh, maybe they're not doing that as much. I don't know. I really don't hear a lot of um, punk. I don't know how much is even out there nowadays. But um, it's certainly a, a charming thing to, to see a band not have to go and correct every little mistake and make sure that everything's flawless and everybody's 100% on time. I really like that it's human. You know, there's a lot of humanity in the music. And um, so that's Mother of Mercy. Definitely a, a, a great track. The next song is Birthright. And this has uh, another just kind of interesting drum pattern. Uh, we're bringing back in some bells for this one, which is cool. And um, it's just got a good groove to it. So let's hear a little bit of that. there's really, you know, a, a lot going on here. You've got the uh, tubular bells that come in for effect. You've got a really interesting drum pattern that uh, that varies a little bit here and there with each pass. And um, 
again, I think the, the way that they uh, put the effects on the drums really sells this too. But it, it, it's definitely not, you know, exactly on the meter, which again, just gives it that human quality. And then you've got some great guitar playing going on here. It's, it just creates such a mood. And uh, if you listen to the full song, you know, you'll really get to hear the power of Glenn's vocals, especially when it comes to the chorus and the ending. Um, he really lets loose on the ending and, and just makes it something that as soon as it's over, you kind of just want to turn around and hear it again. Which, I mean, really is, is the goal for any song. But um, for me, at least anyway, not a lot of songs do that. I'm usually pretty satisfied by the time a song is over and want to hear the next thing. But uh, in a case like this, it's just one that makes me want to put it on again. And um, yeah, very powerful, uh, really interesting ideas for the, uh, for the beat. And, uh, you know, an, another great song. This, there's a reason that this is one of my favorite albums, because I, I really do enjoy everything that's on it. I don't feel like there's any songs that are filler. Um, even the cover that they do, which we're going to get to shortly, uh, even that doesn't really feel like, um, like, oh, God, we, we were one track short. We better put something on here. Ah, let's do a cover. It doesn't feel like that. It feels like it was really meant to be on the album. Um, a little late because it's November and uh, the song's called Halloween 2. But, uh, you know, Halloween kind of uh, lives on for us well past October, uh, the end of October, at least for some of us anyway. I think we should have a Halloween every couple months if it were up to me. Maybe not so much on the candy, but, you know, the costumes and the fun is always a good time. And, and man, here in Vegas, they, they know how to decorate. And there's some real serious Halloween costume competitions here. I, I'm talking, you know, Ten, fifteen, twenty-five thousand dollars. Some of them, and uh, people go all out. I mean, some people spend thousands of dollars on their costume to compete, and I, I hope it works out for them because that's a huge investment. So, um, getting off track here, but that was Birthright, and um, just just a, a great song. And again, listen especially to the ending of that song and, and hear that uh, just a, a amazing, passionate delivery from Glenn. Uh, great stuff. So the next song, we get a little bluesy again. This is, um, you know, a little bit slower and, and definitely one that you feel a little more from the heart. Uh, it's called To Walk the Night. one's really interesting because it kind of gives me the feel of somebody who has accepted their fate, but at the same time is kind of saying, yeah, but if I could get out of it, I I would. I don't know if that's the actual intent of the song. I've got no clue, but that's kind of what I get out of it. And it's a a bit of a a plea or a cry for help. And uh, that's, it's interesting because you don't really uh, get that feel from a lot of Glenn's songs. But certainly any kind of creature, anything that he's singing as, I, I could understand that being a, uh, you know, a, a lyric to sing. And um, especially because, you know, you got to change things up a little bit. But uh, it's a really good song. I love the, the drums. I love the feel of it. Again, it's just uh, 
you know, got such a a personality and, and an edge to it. And it's a, it's a great bluesy vocal. Glenn really is a great bluesy singer. Um, he, not just because he has like a lower range voice, but he just has the ability to deliver this kind of stuff very, very well. And uh, I'd, I'd be curious to hear more uh, of that kind of stuff in, in this vein, but um, you know, he's going to sing what he's going to sing. And uh, this is just going to remain one of my favorite sound songs. The uh, the next one is called Let the Day Begin. And um, I kind of wondered why. I mean, if you take away the fact that they wanted a, a specific opener, but this could have been the follow up song to the opener, because this, I think, would have set a really good tone for the album as well. I mean, In My Grip did a great job, but this is kind of saying, hey, let's uh, let's wake up. Let's get started on things and let's let the mayhem ensue. So that kind of a message, I think, works a little bit better as an opener. Musically, I think either one of them would have worked just fine. But let's see what you think. Take a listen and, uh, you know, tell me. I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think maybe they did the order of the songs that they did because they wanted it to be a little more harder edge at the very beginning and coming out of the gate? And this one kind of starts off a little bit, um, not quite as powerful as uh, as In My Grip did. I could see that being the case. I just think from a, a vocal perspective, you know, the story that you're telling, it's kind of like, hey, wake up, everybody. Let's uh, let's let's go cause some damage. So uh, from a, a lyrical standpoint, I think it would have made a great opener, but maybe not uh, musically. Maybe they, uh, they wanted something a little bit heavier, and I could certainly understand that. Um, but it's a great song, just the same. Um, probably one of the two, I mean, I like all the songs, but probably one of the two I like least on there. Um, I don't always listen to it. Sometimes I skip it to get to the next one because I, I love the next one. And... Um, doesn't mean it's a bad song. It just means I listen to it a little bit less than the others. And um, the next song is the cover that they did. This was originally done by the Misfits in a in a completely different style. This one is called Halloween Two. This is a much slower and grittier rendition from the version that was done by the Misfits. And I, I really like it. You know, you, you kind of feel a, uh, a more of an intensity to it. The other one was a little bit um, in comparison. It's a little happier, actually. Um, but, uh, you know, definitely uh, w- with the Latin that Glenn's throwing in and then the, the heavy guitar riff and it just being slower and grittier uh, makes it a little bit more of a powerful statement. I really like it. And uh, at first, I remember when I first heard it, I, I didn't even recognize it as the same song. 
And um, of course, I'm driving in the car. So it's not like I'm reading the, the cassette insert or anything. I'm just letting one song play into another without knowing the titles. And uh, I just thought it was a cool song. And then once I actually was able to sit down with the cassette insert and I realized it was the same, I thought, wow, this is a really interesting take on that same track. So uh, a little faster with the Misfits, a little slower with Samhain, but uh, really cool, actually, really, uh, really rough and, and, and uh, you know, more, um, ugh, you know, that, that feel to it. Uh, which I really like for this band. So uh, another great job on there. Now we head to the sort of titles, uh, title track. The album is called November's Coming Fire, but this track is actually called November's Fire. like the drums there especially uh going into the chorus because the drums aren't on the beat they're a, almost like a pre-accent to where they would normally be on the beat but definitely powerful uh riff it really really just moves the song forward and uh, it's got a lot of a power and energy to it which is great um it would have been interesting to see kind of a bluesy version of this i think but in general um definitely a powerful song a uh, great point in the album, too, to kind of pick up the energy after, um, you know, Halloween being a little bit slower of a song. And then, uh, you know, you got to bring that energy back up to to boost you through the rest of the album. And uh, they kick it up again uh, even more in the next song, Kiss of Steel. But uh, November's Fire, you know, you, you really kind of go back to the album cover, which is three skeletons, uh, skeletal figures, uh, you know, kind of overlooking the fire. And... Uh, you just kind of get the sense that they're preparing the uh, the mayhem to ensue, and this feels like they're you know they're, they've really stirred it up now and they're they're ready to go attack. But it's got a good power. It's it's kind of a freight train of a song without being too uh, fast. It just you know it just speeds down that track, and you don't get the sense that it's you know lightning speed. But it's it's got a good drive to it. Is how I I, I guess I want I mean. And um, yeah, on to the next. The next song is Kiss of Steel. So obviously on this one, they kicked it up uh, even more in the tempo. We're now double time on the drums. And uh, this is just a good driving song. Really interesting guitar tones on this one. And, uh, you know, a- another powerful vocal that just moves it forward. But this this song, you know, from the mix, it kind of fits in. But for the song itself, I don't know. I, I, I've always kind of felt like this might have belonged on another album and uh, I don't know if it was uh, intended for another album or not, but it just, it, I don't know, this one's just always felt a little bit apart from the rest of the songs for me. 
A uh, great song, though. I really like it. But um, I think if this had been left off the album, I think they would have been okay. I think the album would have flowed uh, just as well. But it is nice to have the extra uh, energy. But so you, you picked it up with November's Fire, then you have Chris's Kiss of Steel, and then you have Unbridled, which they're all, you know, up-tempo songs and, uh, you know, hard driving. But this is good. This is a, a good song. It's got a great beat to it as well. Um, you know, you, you can really feel the, uh, the drummers just pounding pretty hard to get that sound and, and to keep the tempo up. But um, yeah, I, I would have been okay without it. But, uh, you know, I do enjoy it. It's, it's one I listen to, again, a little bit less than the others probably. But, um, but good stuff, just the same. So, uh, wow, we're almost at the end of the album already, just two songs to go. The next song is called Unbridled. And that really kind of uh, fits in with the final song, Human Pony Girl. I don't know if that was intentional, uh, or if it just worked out that way. But in any case, uh, it is a great lead into Human Pony Girl. And uh, right now, let's take a listen to Unbridled. Keep an eye or an ear, I should say, out on the drums. So I let that one play a little bit longer because I kind of wanted you to hear what the drums were doing there. And um, I don't know what kind of tambourine or clave that they're playing, but it's definitely got an interesting pitch to it. Uh, it really blends into the song nicely. I mean, they kind of made it stand out a little bit in the mix, but uh, I think they, they blended it pretty well. And um, I don't know if that was supposed to be like the, uh, you know, a, a bell or, or, you know, like a little jingle bell or what, but um, definitely added a little bit to the song, I think. But the drums themselves are really, really interesting on this album. And this is a song where they shine a little bit more because the pattern's different. Um, Certainly not what you'd expect to hear in a song, but very creative. And I think it really helps drive the song along well without it just being that, you know, typical driving beat that you would hear, you know, just the straight 4-4 time. Um, The way that it's played, and I love the, the kick and snare sound at the beginning. Uh, you don't really hear the kick a lot on the album because it's kind of buried with the guitars, but that's one place that it stands out. And it's kind of punchy, which I really like a good punchy kick, um, but kind of flat also. So it's, it's I don't know, it just it has a really unique sound to it. And I really think that that helps in this song too, even though you don't hear the kick, you feel it, I think more so than hearing it in this song. And that's just the way that the mix is, too, because they could have put a little bit more in the mix and it would have changed the dynamics of it, I think. But uh, yeah, good stuff. And, uh, and it's a lot of energy heading into our last song, which, uh, which kind of slows things down a little bit for the finale of the album. And this is another one of my favorite songs on the album, this one and, and uh, To Walk the Night uh, and Mother of Mercy, because this one here, just the way that it ends... Um, the way that it just kind of goes on and you really, you know, you get a lot of that passion and that gritty vocal from Glenn. And I don't know, there's just something about it that, that really, uh, from the first time I heard it, grips me. And sometimes, you know, I, when I was driving around and I had this, this uh, tape or CD in the car, because of course I took it from tape and put it on CD when I got a vehicle that had a CD player in it. 
Um, sometimes I would just flip right to this song and start with that. The thing about this album is I typically only like to listen to it if it's really windy out or if it's and dark. I don't know why, but that's just, and this is the only album I feel that way with. Like Initium, I can listen to all day long, any of the Misfit stuff, the same thing. But for some reason, this album um, just does that for me. And what's interesting is when I first picked it up and I'm driving to work listening to the cassette, it was in the afternoon, it was broad daylight out. So it's not like the initial impression I had of the album was at listening at midnight in the dark on a windy, you know, November night. Um, not at all. It was a, it was definitely an overcast and chilly day. I think it might have been sprinkling on and off, um, but that's not uncommon in, in Colorado Springs, or at least it wasn't at the time. And um, we're talking late 80s, so probably I was working at Burger King, so it must have been 89. Um, yeah, it had to have been 89, I think. So, um, yeah, so it's weird that I would have that association with it. But for some reason, that's just when I want to hear the album. Um, you know, we've talked about that before, too, like weather associations, smells and, and different things. But for, for whatever reason, um, those are the factors for me for this album. I'd be curious to know uh, for you guys, for those of you that are familiar with the album, if you have any particular um, peculiar tastes for it, uh, anything that uh, you kind of want to like set up a certain set of circumstances. And again, you know, that has to be nostalgia for whatever it is that's connecting me to that, um, to want to recreate that. That's got to be, you know, the nostalgic side of it. But uh, but great songs anyway. And as we head into our, our final song, Human Pony Girl, you kind of get the feeling of, uh, you know, a horse being led uh, from the drum beat, it's a, a really um, just a rich and full sounding song, as you will hear right now. So one thing that I've noticed on this album, and actually a lot of their stuff, is that you really don't hear the hi-hat a lot. Now, I don't know if that means he wasn't playing one, or if it, and, and it just wasn't in the mix, or if he really wasn't playing one, um, but you don't really hear it. And in this one, he's just uh, using a crash cymbal instead of a hi-hat, which really brings out just another element of intensity and, and power to the song, I think, especially the way that he he uses it with the pattern with uh, the two snare hits instead of just the one. And uh, it's just got a good drive uh, for this at that tempo. And uh, I think that, that using the crash cymbal just really kind of just adds to it, to that feeling overall. But you kind of get that da-da, 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 kind of like the slow clopping of a horse and uh, with, with Glenn's passionate vocal and, and the guitars. I love just that little bit of feedback that they've had throughout the, the album that you just get that sense of, you know, if we're, we're pushing it right to the limit without it being ridiculous. And if we go any further, it's going to ruin it. But we're, we're happy to play right at that edge. I've, I've always liked that about them. And, um, you know, there was some of that in The Misfits, too. I think when it came to Danzig, for, for the stuff that I know, which isn't a whole lot, but for the stuff that I know, 
um, that really wasn't present anymore. Then it came, and this is why I think the production value changed, because it really came down to more of like a distorted but clean studio sound. Um, I, I don't know that that was the case or that was the intention, but when I listen, that's what I hear. And um, I, I don't like it as much myself, because to me, this is the sound of punk, that that just raw, unpolished sound. I mean, still where everything's audible, where you can tell what they're doing, where you can hear the lyric, but everything's kind of like, you know, not on the beat. It's it's not everyone's playing together all the time. You've got that feedback. Um, you don't hear the hi-hat, that kind of stuff. Like that really defines that sound for me. But the majority of punk that I know, in all fairness, is the Misfits and Sound. I mean, yeah, I knew uh, The Clash. I know a few songs by them. Um, I'm not sure exactly how they define punk when it comes to them. I was never a huge fan of the Ramones. I think they were considered punk. But um, but just taking this album on its own, I think it's got some great music on it. I think there's some uh, really good tones to the drums with the effects, to the guitars, with the, their level of distortion and that feedback level. And also, uh, I think Glenn's voice just sounds in, in such a great and powerful form that it really makes the album work. And um, yeah, kudos, you know, now that even just listening to these little clips uh, as I'm cutting them up for you, I kind of want to like just sit down and listen to the whole album right now. And that's not something that I usually do after I've just reviewed an album. So that's kind of cool, actually. But uh, anyway, thank you guys for hanging out and uh, going through this album, November Coming Fire by Samhain with me. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed it, and I hope that you can find a good price copy. My God, I hope you're not spending $300 or $200 for a copy, um, especially because that doesn't go to the band. You know, it's out of print, so the the band or whatever entity they are now, um, if I understand the story right, they actually went, uh, twisted the name from uh, Samhain into Danzig, and you can hear some early Danzig demos in the box set version uh, on the final Descent CD. Um, there's a version of Twisted Cane and, and a couple others. And um, it's, it's kind of interesting to see how that, you know, and you can even tell how different the sound is on those songs, even in the demo form, uh, as they change the name from Samhain to Danzig, if, if any of that is actually how it happened. But um, certainly those songs are on there. I've heard them, so I know that part at least is real. That's the tough thing. Like when, you know, you never know when you're researching anything on the internet, if the information that you're getting is true. Uh, you hope it is, you know, you kind of go with, okay, this makes sense. Or yeah, I find that believable. But is any of it fact? I have no idea. The only way I would know is if I actually sat down and talked to any of these guys and, um, and asked them directly. But this is some cool stuff. Now I will say live, their sound was very, very raw because that was just like punk unleashed. And it was the same thing with the Misfits. They, they're just like raw. Uh, the songs are much faster. There's a much uh, harder hit and, and drive and intensity to them. Um, I think that's the kind of stuff for me, at least, because I like some live music, but I think to, to just sit there and listen to the stuff live, I think you kind of really wanted to be there and have the experience. I think that's what made bands like this great when they were live. I don't know how well it translates on uh, recording, it's nice to have different versions, but I don't find personally that I go back and listen to the live stuff a lot. In fact, um, when I had loaded the box sets onto my iPod, I found that I just skipped through the live stuff and never listened to it. So I actually just ended up deleting it off and just keeping the studio albums off. But for some people, you know, you live for the live versions. Um, there's some videos out there on YouTube that you can find. Of course, they're all, you know, from a time when, when even video cameras weren't uh, much of a thing. 
So they're grainy, and uh, that I guess that kind of works for for punk as well. But uh, there's definitely some cool stuff. The performances, I mean, you can't at all discount the performances. Um, you know, they they were they were full blown, man. They just they went for it on every song, and I I love that when bands do that. But uh, mainly in this kind of uh, music, you know, you wouldn't want a pop band to be too crazy and and divert too much from the song. It's just not part of the genre. But uh, for this, it certainly was, man. It was just, you know, people in the in the mosh pit and people getting thrown around and stuff. I've been in a few mosh pits in my day, and I can tell you that some of them are fun and some of them are not fun. I was in some some that were a lot of fun. You know, it's it's everybody just kind of going around in a circle together, you know, just kind of, you know, that's the uh, the punk version of dancing in the crowd. You just start a mosh pit and you just go around and around and everybody's kind of, you know, just banging each other, but banging on each other, I should say, boy, banging each other would be a completely different thing. And that would be hard to do while you're going around in a circle. But, you know, you would just kind of like bump into the person next to you and just kind of like, you know, nod your head, acknowledging each other, acknowledging that you're kind of in this shared experience together. Um, I'm not a person who dances or understands or knows how to dance, but I certainly did know how to be in a mosh pit. So I can kind of understand that, that, you know, partnership uh, of dancing. And um, it was cool. But then there were pits where like they were violent and I did not like those. I was never a fan of those. Um, People would get punched in the face. People would get kicked when they fell. Um, Those pits were not fun. And you can see in in some of the videos, like some of the, the, there was a lot of pushing around, even just people in the crowd that weren't in a pit. There's just a lot of pushing around of people. So those concerts were pretty crazy. Uh, I, I was a little bit too young to have ever experienced one of those, um, I would imagine his shows now are uh, are much calmer. You know, when when he performs, obviously nobody's doing that right now uh, amidst the COVID. But uh, you know, he's he's a full on just he goes for it, and I really I really like that. And he finds people that play to that level as well. So I think he chooses his people uh, very well, especially with this band and um, just a a great album. I hope that you guys find a well-priced copy and I hope that you enjoy it. And uh, thank you for hanging out and listening to me ramble on talking about this album. Um, It's it's good music and um, you'll either like it or you won't. But I appreciate you giving it a chance uh, sitting here or wherever you are as I as I talk about it and and share my passion for it with you. Uh, I guess my unholy passion the uh, EP song states. But uh, yeah, it's it's good stuff. So uh, I have another show coming up for you guys next week that should be pretty interesting. Uh, a very uh, lovely and talented author that I had the, uh, the fortune of being connected with. And um, be interesting to hear what she has to say about her work. She's pretty fascinating. And I know that some of these shows um, deviate a little bit from my typical format of people in the entertainment industry. But sometimes, you know, when you have uh, the fortune of coming across people that are interesting, sometimes you just share that. And um, I, I said from the beginning that this podcast was uh, was going to evolve a little bit here and there. And um, it's really done that. Like, I wasn't planning on doing reviews in the beginning, but that just kind of came about. And uh, I, I've had fun doing those. I hope you guys have liked those too. But also, you know, interviews with... Uh, with people that have written books that are not about entertainment that I think are uh, things that will really help people or at least open up some possibilities for people to enhance their lives. So I'm happy to bring all of that stuff. While the majority of it is still about entertainment, it's nice to do a little bit of a diversion and share some other things from time to time. And, you know, when you get lucky enough to sit down with with people like this, you know, why wouldn't you share it? Why, why would you not um, 
you know, try and, and see what they have to offer people. And I appreciate the, the folks that listen. And, um, you know, we just do what we do. We're, we're nearing the halfway point of the podcast already. I think this is episode 134. We're going to 300. Um, wow, it's, it's hard to believe. You know, it's been, what, two years now? A little over two years that I've been doing the show. And uh, it's, it's just been a complete joy. You know, there's been a lot of frustrations along the way, but it's been a joy to deliver the show. And, um, you know, hopefully you guys have enjoyed it too. The feedback that I get, the, the number of views and everything from episode to episode shows that there is a consistent audience. So thank you guys. Because if, you know, if the audience dropped to zero, well, I'd probably still do it anyway, but it's nice to see that people are listening and, and hopefully enjoying it. Please, for the love of God, leave ratings on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you don't have to uh, leave a written rating, if you would just uh, leave a star rating would be great. If you think the show deserves five stars, then please give it five. If you think it deserves one, give it five. No, I'm just kidding. Give it one. You know, be honest about that. I, I'd rather um, have that than um, just to have people try to feed my ego because that's not really going to help anybody. And if you're interested in helping uh, me recover the cost of the show on my website at scotthaskin.com slash Haskincast podcast, or I think it's podcast. Uh, there's a link at the top. Just click the link for the Haskincast podcast. There is a Patreon or a, a PayPal link at the bottom. Oh, I'm getting my shows mixed up now. <laughs> so uh, if you feel like it, uh, feel so inclined, um, please donate and that money will go to help pay for the show. And um, thank you guys for listening. And we'll be back next week another show. Cheers. Cheers.